Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 8, Chapter 5. In this chapter we see, confirmed, that Boris was indeed looking for a bride in Maya. Unfortunately, Maya couldn't stop thinking about what her father said and paid little attention to Boris because of it. Do you think this was Maya's last change of marriage? Instead, chance, last chance of marriage? Instead of imagining himself as Julie's husband... Boris imagines himself as the owner of the Penza and Nizhny Novogorod estates. Do you or don't you agree with Boris's reasons to marry Julie? Do you think this will be a successful marriage in the end, or do you think Boris will continue searching for his real love? I think it'll be a successful marriage because I don't know how much marriage his marriage is about love. You know, he doesn't seem that bothered by the love aspect of it. Warren Kavofi says, Nothing says true love like, I can always arrange it so that I see her rarely. I really doubt this marriage will work, come to think of it. Have any of the marriages so far really worked out in this book? Uh, you know, the the old Rostovs are married. <clears throat> they were married at the start of the book, but, you know, that's a good marriage. Um, Four Lost Souls in a Bowl said, My thoughts exactly, I wonder... If Julie, now that she's trapped with Boris, trapped Boris, sorry, actually meant any of what she said to him, or if that it was just go at him to goad him into proposing, great way to start your life together. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know, it's funny because um, a few chapters ago they were talking about how like there was a. Uh, a bit of a fashion going around to be a bit emo, to be a bit morbid. That was what was cool at the moment. I think it was Pierre that said that. Um, and then these two are really going with that fashion of like brooding and talking about their dark souls and whatever. I don't know, like being all, being all emo. But also you get the, the feeling that they're, that they're just two people who follow trends and they're both just really putting it on. And I loved those lines about how, like, beneath the surface of all this gloom that uh, Julie is putting on, um, what's his name? Boris could see that she was brimming with, you know, excitement to get married. And all of that brooding depression would f- fall away as soon as they, you know, started a marriage together. And you'd have to see how happy she is. Ugh. Rye Bread Egg said, I thought this was this chapter was one of the funniest chapters so far. It was funny. Those two are hopeless. They kind of deserve each other, though, at that point, don't you think? They're both doing the same thing. Chapter 6. Keep reading. Let's go. At the end of January, old Count Rostov went to Moscow with Natasha and Sonia. The Countess was still unwell and unable to travel, but it was impossible to wait for her recovery. Prince Andre was expected in Moscow any day. The trousseau had to be ordered and the estate near Moscow had to be sold, besides which the opportunity for, of presenting his future daughter-in-law to old Prince Bolkonsky while he was in Moscow could not be missed. The Rostov's Moscow house had not been heated that winter, and as they had come only for a short time and the Countess was not with them, the Count decided to stay with Maya Dmitrievna Akhosmoz... Oh my god, my brain. 
Akrozimova, Akrozimova, who had long been pressing her hospitality on them. Late one evening, the Rostov's four sleighs drove into Maya Dmitrievna's courtyard in the old Konyushini Street. Maya Dmitrievna lived alone. She had already married off her daughter, and her sons were all in the service. She held herself as, as erect, told everyone her opinion as candidly, loudly, and bluntly as ever, and her whole bearing seemed a reproach to others for any weakness, passion, or temptation, the possibility of which she did not admit. From early in the morning, wearing a dressing jacket, she attended to her household affairs, and then she drove out on holy days to church and after the service to jails and prisons on affairs of which she never spoke to anyone. On ordinary days, after dressing, she received petitioners of various classes, of whom there were always some, then she had dinner, a substantial and appetizing meal, at which there were always three or four guests. After dinner, she played a game of Boston, and at night she had the newspapers or a new book read out to pay visits, and then only to the most important persons in the town. She had not yet gone to bed when the Rostovs arrived, and the pulley of the hall door squeaked from the cold as it let in the Rostovs and their servants, Maya Dmitrievna, with her spectacles hanging down on her nose and her head flung back, stood in the hallway door, looking with a stern, grim face at the new arrivals. One might have thought she was angry with the travellers and would immediately turn them out, had she not at the same time been giving them careful instructions to the servants for the accommodation of the visitors and their belongings. The Count's things? Bring them here, she said, pointing to the portmanteaus and not greeting anyone. The young ladies? There, to the left. Now, what are you dawdling for? she cried to the maids. Get the samovar ready. You've grown plumper and prettier, she remarked, drawing Natasha, whose cheeks were glowing from the cold, to her by the hood. Foo, and you are cold. Now take off your things, quick, she shouted to the Count, who was going to kiss her hand. You're half frozen, I'm sure. Bring some rum for tea. Bonjour, Sonia, dear, she added, turning to Sonia, and indicating by this French greeting her slightly contemptuous, though affectionate, attitude toward her. When they came in to tea, having taken off their outdoor things and tidied themselves up after their journey, Maya Dmitrievna kissed them all in due order, I am heartily glad you have come and are staying with me. It was high time, she said, giving Natasha a significant look. The old man is here and his son's expected any day. You'll have to make his acquaintance. But we'll speak of that later on, she added, glancing at Sonia with a look that showed she did not want to speak of it in her presence. Now listen, she said to the Count. What do you want tomorrow? Whom will you send for? Shinshin? She crooked one of her fingers. The snivelling Anna Mikhailovna? That's two. She's here with her son. The son is getting married. Then Bezikov, eh? He is here too with his wife. He ran away from her and she came galloping after him. He dined with me on Wednesday. As for them, and she pointed to the girls, tomorrow I'll take them first to the Iberian shrine of the Mother of God and then we'll drive to the super rogues. I suppose you'll have everything new. Don't judge by me. Sleeves nowadays are this size. The other day, young Princess Irina Vasilevna came to see me. She was an awful sight. Looked as if she had put two barrels on her arms. You know, not a day passes now without some new fashion. And what have you to do yourself? She asked the Count sternly. 
One thing has come up on top of another. Her rags to buy, and now a purchaser has turned up for the Moscow estate and for your house, and for the house. If you will be so kind, I'll fix a time and go to the estate just for a day and leave my lassies with you. All right, all right. They'll be safe with me, as safe as in Chancery. I'll take them where they must go, scold them a bit, and pet them a bit, said Maya Dmitrievna, touching her goddaughter and favourite Natasha on the cheek with her large hand. Next morning, Maya Dmitrievna took the young ladies to the Iberian shrine of the Mother of God and to Madame Superrogut, who was so afraid of Maya Dmitrievna that she always let her have costumes at a loss merely to get rid of her. Maya Dmitrievna ordered almost the whole trousseau. When they got home, she turned everybody out of the room except Natasha and then called her pet to her armchair. Well, now we'll talk. I congratulate you on your betrothed. You've hooked a fine fellow. I'm glad for your sake, and I've known him since he was so high. She held her hand a couple of feet from the ground. Natasha blushed happily. I like him and all his family. Now, listen, you know that old Prince Nicholas much dislikes his son's marrying the old fellow's crotchery. crotchety. Of course, Prince André is not a child and can shift without him, but it's not nice to enter a family against a father's will. One wants to do it peacefully and lovingly. You're a clever girl, and you'll know how to manage. Be kind and use your wits, then all will be well. Natasha remained silent, from shyness Maya Dmitrievna supposed, but really because she disliked anyone interfering in what touched her love of Prince André, which seemed to her so apart from all human affairs that no one could understand it. She loved a new Prince André, he loved her only, and was to come one of these days and take her. She wanted nothing more. You see, I have known him a long time, and am also fond of Mary, your future sister-in-law. Husbands, sisters, bring up blisters, but this one wouldn't hurt a fly. She has asked me to bring you two together. Tomorrow you'll go with your father to see her. Be very nice and affectionate to her. You're younger than she is. When he comes, he'll find you already know his sister and father and are liked by them. Am I right or not? Won't that be best? Yes, it will, Natasha answered reluctantly. All right, there we go. That's that chapter for you. Natasha, oh, I don't envy you. To have to go and meet the Balkonskis, especially old man Balkonski. Ooh. Have fun with that. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you tomorrow.